I told the first two services I was really blessed by the worship this morning. And it's a good thing they sang so well because that's the ugliest praise team we've had up here in a long time. (laughs) But they did a great job. I commend them. And I want to commend another group right now. I want to commend uh, our junior high youth. A lot of them are in this service, and let me tell you why. Some of you know a couple of summers ago I got to go to Zambia, spend a week with Jacob Sianangu, our missionary there. Jacob not only is a great evangelist, but has a great heart for kids. Jacob was an orphan, and he was uh, taken in by a Christian family and raised in the faith, and he has a heart for orphans. And Zambia is filled with orphans because of the AIDS crisis. While we were there, besides all his preaching duties, Jacob was trying to raise funds to build an orphanage. It's now completed. You see a picture of it there. And it houses 21 boys. And you can see their pictures there. Jacob keeps another six boys in his home with his wife. And he's trying to buy a lot right down the street to build an orphanage for girls. This is a great need. And one of their biggest needs is good clothing. Because they don't have the textile industry in Zambia like we have here. And our junior high kids found out, so they started to drive. Besides uh, collecting 60 50-pound boxes of good clothing to send to Zambia, they contributed $1,400 out of their pockets, and their teachers pitched in another $8,000, and we're all going to send it to Zambia soon to bless those kids. So I am proud. I am proud of our junior high young people. Because I don't think you're much closer to the heart of Jesus than when you care for the poor and when you care for children. Now, all of you get the chance to do it next Sunday. Because next Sunday is Servant Sunday. We do this every spring. We take up an offering to bless especially poor children. Through CEC, through Royal Family Kids Camp, Open Arms, Christ Haven, John's work on the Bernese border with refugees. We're going to take up about $200,000 next Sunday. We're going to have two offerings. The first will be our regular. And then what you give to your regular, I need you to give that and a little more for the special. And we're going to bless kids next Sunday. And I want you to be a part of that. It's going to be a great time. You know, I've been gone a couple of weeks. Now, I'm glad to be back as we continue our study of heaven. I know you were blessed by Ken Sandy. And then last week, by the Mother's Day video, I'm glad a lot of you got to see a picture of my mother. By the way, she was here today. She was in the second service, and she's in Bible class right now. And a lot of you have commented to me how not only intelligent she is, but how beautiful she is. And you're right. It explains why a lot of people say, I take after my father. And (laughs) I'm glad that you got to see her. But today, we want to go back to our study of heaven. In fact, we're going to be talking about heaven on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. For the next several weeks. So you don't want to miss any of our services this month. There was an 85-year-old couple married over 60 years. And in good shape. They watched their diet. They exercised every day. But at the age of 85, they died tragically in a car wreck. Peter meets them and gives them a tour of heaven. He takes them to a beautiful mansion with an incredible master suite with a jacuzzi, a swimming pool in the backyard. Peter says, this will be your home. And the old man says, how much is this going to cost? Peter says, you don't get it. This is heaven. It's free. Now, the the house bordered a beautiful golf course. He says, that's where you have playing privileges. Of course, every day the course will change to be another beautiful course. And how much are the green fees? You don't get it. This is heaven. It's free. And no tea times either. And then he took them to the clubhouse. 
This is where you'll eat. It was a banquet hall filled with incredible food. And the old man said, yeah, but where's the the low-fat, low-cholesterol table? Peter says, you don't get it. This is heaven. No cost for the food. Don't worry about fat. Don't worry about cholesterol. At this, the old man took his cap off, started stomping on it, throwing a fit. And Peter and his wife tried to calm him down. Why are you so mad? And he looked at her and said, it's all your fault. If it wasn't for those blasted bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. Why is it? When someone tells a story about heaven and he starts talking about homes or food or places to play, you immediately assume you're hearing a joke. Why are thoughts of the physical almost always divorced from the celestial? It seems that most people think of heaven in some vague, ethereal notion like a lot of the Eastern religions do. And I think those people are in for a future shock. Now, this sermon is going to be continued Wednesday night. Because there's too much to say. I'm going to unsettle the water a little bit today. And Wednesday night, I promise to blow you out of the water. So I'm giving no excused absences for Wednesday night. You need to come and hear the rest of this teaching. But here's the foundation I'm going to lay this morning, and you can write it down in one sentence. I want you to realize that the real heaven is a corporeal heaven. Now, if you don't know what corporeal means, that's okay, because I looked it up for you in the dictionary. And corporeal means of a material nature. Physical, perceptible by the senses. In other words, the real heaven is going to be tangible. You're going to be able to hear it and see it and taste it and touch it and feel it. Popular ideas about the afterlife are typically more mythical than biblical. More influenced by the Greeks than by God. Now... I don't know if he started it, but he gets credit for it. So I'm going to begin with Plato. Because Plato made popular the philosophy that matter is evil and spirit is good. It's called dualism. And so Plato's goal was for man to be released from the body, which was so debased. This philosophy dominated. The ancient world in which Christianity was born. And so the early Christian church had to deal with its influence. It showed up in a heresy called Gnosticism. You see, if you believe that flesh is evil, what do you do with the incarnation? You must deny it. So the Gnostic teachers did. They said Jesus wasn't really a man. He looked like a man. He was really a spirit, an appearance of a man. And that's why people like John write in 1 John, anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is the Antichrist. But this philosophy continued to have its influence in the early church. That's why people began to think that if you lived an ascetic life and punished your body, you were holy because the body was evil and should be subdued. It's why there began to rise in the church the idea that if you really want to serve God, you take a vow of celibacy. Because again, you're denying your body. 
Now, this philosophy has continued to hold influence all the way to our generation. In a recent poll, over two-thirds of Americans said that in the next life, they will not have bodies. They'll just be spirits. Most people think heaven is some antimatter, nebulous existence for spirit beings. Now, I said Plato got it all started, but that's not actually the truth. Satan did. Because he's the father of lies, and all lies are ultimately sourced in his propaganda. Satan primarily slanders three things. God's person, God's people, and God's place. And one reason Satan spreads lies about God's home is because he was evicted from there. Satan used to live in heaven. He rebelled, was kicked out, and is not allowed to be there anymore. And so he spreads untruths about it. And one of the misperceptions he authors the most is the notion that the material could not possibly be spiritual. In our day, if you say something is spiritual, you almost are saying it's non-substantive, non-substantial. And yet, the very first time the word good shows up in the Bible, it is talking about God's physical, material, tangible creation. The Bible does not condemn the material. It condemns materialism, which is making the created more important than the creator. But God doesn't condemn the material in and of itself. Something isn't less real to God if it's corporeal. I think a lot of people are in for a big surprise when it comes to the next life. It's not going to be like Hollywood, a bunch of fog and mist and spirits. Let me tell you three things I'm expecting. Number one is that I will live in a material place. You see, one result of dualism's influence is the common tendency to spiritualize Scripture, especially when it refers to heaven. We have Old Testament prophecies and New Testament pictures of heaven, and we read about structures and dimensions and rooms and scenery, and we immediately think, well, that couldn't be literal. Because this old Platonic philosophy is still influencing how we read the Bible. I want you to try to divorce that for a second and just let the Bible say what it says about heaven. Listen to Jesus, John 14, 2. There are many rooms in my Father's home. And I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. Jesus said heaven is a material place with dwelling places. If it wasn't that way, I would let you know. The Hebrew writer consistently calls heaven a city. In chapter 11, verse 16, referring to Abraham and the patriarchs, he says they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a heavenly city for them. In chapter 13, verse 14, he writes, This world is not our home. We are looking forward to our city in heaven, 
which is yet to come. John describes a city in the Revelation. And in the middle of the city, he says there's a big garden that looks a whole lot like Eden. And then Paul comes along and makes it clear that God's purposes in Christ included the redemption of more than just the souls of people. I want you to look with me in Romans chapter 8. Very important text. Starting in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. Now, stop right there. We've got to remember that. The curse wasn't just on men or just on their souls. The curse was on all creation. It was on the ground. Now keep reading. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Now, when Paul says all creation groans in the pains of childbirth, what does that metaphor suggest? See, I think a lot of people think when Jesus comes back, all creation is just going to be destroyed and disappear forever. But childbirth suggest what creation is looking forward to is a new future. A glorious new delivery. You see, Christ's victory will redeem everything affected by the curse. The victory of Christ is so much larger than we tend to think of it as being. Now, this is what we're going to talk about more Wednesday night. And I'm giving no excused absences. I want you here to hear the rest of this teaching. But I will live in a material place. I'll tell you what else. I will have a physical body. Gnosticism had no use for the body. But God does. See, I think a lot of us think that basically a man is just a spirit and the body was just a house that God made to put the important part, the spirit, in. Go back and read Genesis. God made the body first and then breathed the spirit in it. There's never been such a thing as a human being without a body. Now, these current bodies of ours are cursed by sin, subject to decay, and unable to inherit the kingdom of God. But listen, our hope is not to be delivered from our bodies. That's Greek philosophy. That is not Bible. 
Our hope is not to be delivered from our bodies. Our hope is to be delivered into our new bodies. Listen again to Romans 8. After he talks about how the creation groans, he mentions that we do too. Verse 23. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too wait anxiously for that day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. You see, we do not yet experience our full rights as children. Because even though our salvation is finished, it is not yet fully enjoyed and will not be until the bodies we now have are glorified and that will happen at the resurrection. See, I want you to understand something, folks. Lazarus was not resurrected. He was resuscitated. He came back to earth in his old sin-cursed body. He had to go through the dying thing all over again. You talk about your ultimate bummer. But let me tell you what God's going to do for you and me. And I'll tell you how you can know he can do it because he gives you the witness every time you walk outside. Paul says it's like a seed. You take an acorn or a corn seed and you put it in the ground. And you're going to get a big oak tree or a corn stalk. And even though it is the same it appears totally different. And that's what God's going to do with you and me. He's going to put the seed or the shell of your old body in the ground. And then He's going to raise you up. And it's going to be you. But gloriously different than that which was sown. Let Paul speak Himself about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. It's the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies which die in decay will be different when they are resurrected, for they will never die. Our bodies now disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. They are weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. They are natural human bodies now, but when they are raised, they will be spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, so also there are spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What came first was the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth. While Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Every human being has an earthly body just like Adam's. But our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ's. Just as we are now like Adam, the man of the earth, so we will someday be like Christ, the man from heaven. Now notice, Paul does not think it is a contradiction in terms to talk about a spiritual body. God is going to redeem us body and 
soul. He's going to redeem everything that you are. Everything that was affected by the curse is going to be reconciled to him. Paul says the same thing in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We're citizens of heaven. And where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, we eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything, everywhere. I believe this is one reason why God occasionally grants us physical healings. Someone gets ill. The doctors give us little hope. The church is called. Prayers are prayed. Oil is anointed. And somebody gets well. And the doctors can't explain it. What happened? I'll tell you. God just gave us a preview of coming attractions. Because healings aren't the end. Healings are a glimpse of the end. And this is also a reason why God has given you the Holy Spirit. Remember, Paul said, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So basic to the faith is our hope in the resurrected, glorified body that Paul says, God gave you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that this wonderful promise will come true. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 that you're not your own. You were bought at a price, so you honor God with your body. God paid for your body with the blood of Jesus Christ. And what God owns, He intends to keep forever. And so someday, in my glorified body, I will stand before the body who redeemed it. You heard me right. It's not just that I'll live in a material place in a physical body, but I will serve a corporal Lord, a Lord with a body, a Lord I can see, hear, touch, hug, serve. Isn't that what we celebrate at Easter? Every year at Easter we celebrate the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke says that two disciples were on a road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared and began to speak with them. And he revealed himself to be the raised Lord Jesus. They got excited, ran back and told all the disciples. They were in a room talking about it and Jesus showed up. And notice what happened. It says, while the whole group was terribly frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. And Jesus said, why are you frightened? Why do you doubt who I am? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. And make sure I'm not a ghost. 
Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And they spent 40 days with him talking about the kingdom of God. And then they watched him physically, visibly, bodily ascend into heaven. And then two angels said, you will see him come back exactly like you saw him leave. That's why Paul called him the man from heaven. Someday we will be in that real place. And we will talk and we will walk and we will hold and we will eat with and we will serve a real person, the Lord Jesus. And we will bow down and lay our crowns at his wounded But what do we do until then? Well, we cope and we hope. We cope in this current age by groaning and by leaning. That's right. Paul gave us permission to groan. This world is full of death. We can't drive five miles without seeing another cemetery Decay is all around us. We get tired of it. And Paul says, sometimes, just like creation, we just have to groan. It's okay to groan. However, be sure you understand there is a difference between groaning and griping. Know the difference. And we lean on the comforter. The blessed Holy Spirit given to us by God to calm our fears in this land of the dying we currently inhabit. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Our dying bodies make us groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies. So that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Now I have traveled a lot, been in many airports. And I can go to any gate of an airport and I can tell you there's two people there at the gate. And I can tell you without asking who they are. There's the group that have their boarding passes. And then there is the group hoping to get on standby. The first group is sitting down, reading the paper, calmly waiting. The second group is pacing, walking, anxious and nervous. Because they're not sure if they're going to make the journey. The Holy Spirit is your boarding pass. Don't tell me the doctrine of the indwelling of the Spirit isn't important. It's a gift 
of God. Learn to listen to the promptings of the Spirit. Learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. It was given by God to you to help you manage life on a planet that's cursed with death. And so we cope in this current age by groaning and by leaning. And we hope in the coming and complete redemption of God through Jesus Christ. I hope you're beginning to see how cosmic in character is the work of Christ on the cross. Jesus went to the cross to redeem so much more than just invisible spirits. And we'll talk about this more Wednesday. Napoleon Bonaparte, they said one time, put a map on a table with his generals around him. And he pointed to a red dot and he said, if it wasn't for that red dot, I could have conquered the world. And the red dot he pointed to was Great Britain. I can imagine Satan and his henchmen around a map. And Satan says, if it wasn't for that red dot, it could have all been mine. Everything he created, I could have tainted. Everything he spoke into existence, I could have perverted. It could have all been mine except for that red dot. And he pointed to Calvary. Let me tell you something. Our view of what Jesus did is too puny. God will surrender no territory to the enemy. There will not be one single molecule of this universe that will not fulfill the divinely intended purpose for which it was created. It will all be redeemed from the curse. There will not be one atom that will not submit to the sovereignty of God. Satan will not be able to say he perverted one single square inch of what God created and what God intended. It is all going to be reconciled, Paul says in Colossians, the invisible and the visible, heaven and earth, so that God will be all in all. You ought to be clapping and saying amen right now. The curse will be completely cursed. And in this we hope. And let me tell you how practical this gets. Last Thursday morning, just 24 hours before she died, I went to see Marsha McKenna. Marsha has been a member here over 20 years. She's touched a lot of our lives. She's touched the lives of a lot of you that don't even know her. But the Marsha I saw Thursday morning is not the Marsha I will choose to remember. No. I didn't see a vibrant, vivacious woman. I saw a weak, frail, emaciated body. Hair gone, breathing labored, in great pain. Weak, powerless, pitiful. And when I left her home, I was mad. I found anger in me. Not at her. I was angry at Satan, at sin, 
and what the curse means and does. But it gave me hope to remember that Jesus did not just redeem her spirit. Tomorrow, we will put the old body, the seed, in the ground. And upon the soon return of Lord Jesus, she will be raised. A new, glorified, resurrected body. And Satan will not get to claim any victory over any of God's intended purposes for her. The victory of Jesus will be complete and she will be raised body and soul to serve him forever. And I will be too. That is my destiny. That is my future. I do not intend to be shocked. Let's bow our heads. Oh God. Forgive us. For having such a small diminished view. Of the redemption. That is in Christ Jesus. Increase in us God. A greater understanding of how cosmic. Of how far reaching. Of how awesome is the total victory of Jesus over sin and death and everything Satan tried to corrupt. And grant to us, God, a greater capacity to live by the Holy Spirit so that we will not be discouraged in this land of the dying as we wait for the land of the living. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders and ministers are going to be in room 109 to pray with you today because some of you have burdens. And the Bible says it is okay to groan. Go pray with them. I'm going to be down front to receive people today who are ready to call Jesus Son of God. So far in each of our services today, someone has come and said, I want to be baptized into Jesus because I want him to be my Savior. Listen to me. This is the last thing I'm going to say, but it's very important. The father of lies has sown the biggest of all. You were prepared for a person and a place. And the devil says you can have the place without the person. And all over the world there are people who are thinking, I will go to heaven. I just don't need Jesus to get there. They are in for a future shock. Do not be among them. You get right with Jesus today. Let's stand and sing.